for Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. As Congress votes to block D.C.'s democratically approved new criminal code, the nation's capital is the latest example of black and brown majority cities in the United States being stripped of self-rule and democratic rights. Why should D.C. and the 700,000 residents be treated any differently than any other American in a representative democracy? And for a Women's History Month special, we speak to Congresswoman Loria Raquel dixon Brotigan, a woman of African descent who was the first secretary of the National Assembly in Nicaragua. My work in the National Assembly is an opportunity to serve my country, to serve our people on the development process of our country. All that and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. First, a few headlines. Dozens of actions were staged across the country on Thursday for the National Day of Action Against Police Terror, organized in response to the police murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis in January and the murder of forest defender Manuel Tortuguita in Atlanta, the site of a massive planned police training facility dubbed Cop City. Here in D.C., the related action was a teach-in held by Pan-African Community Action at the Black Workers Center in Southeast D.C. Maria of the Malcolm X Grassroots Project spoke about the links between the fight to free Black political prisoners and stopping today's police terror. The COINTEL program, the counterintelligence program of the FBI, that named the Black Power Movement, the Black Liberation Movement, as one of the biggest threats to national security, right? And actively engaged in infiltration, in instigation, and in the murder and assassination of our revolutionary leaders. So that is the legacy in which I'm extremely. The D.C. action was held the day after the U.S. Senate approved a resolution to block D.C.'s democratically approved new criminal code, which reduced some mandatory minimum sentences. After initially opposing the resolution, President Biden then said he would not veto the Republican-led measure, and his decision angered many Democrats in D.C., which voted 93% for Biden in 2020, and where the hands-off D.C. movement is now gaining steam. More from a hands-off D.C. rally later in the show. Alan Shaw, CEO of Norfolk Southern Railroad, responsible for the train derailment and escape of toxic chemicals in East Palestine, Ohio, last month, testified before Congress, refusing to commit to providing seven paid sick days to all the company's workers, even as Shaw recently rewarded wealthy investors with $10 billion in stock buybacks. He was questioned by Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Will you make that commitment right now to guarantee paid sick days to all of your workers? That's not a radical demand. It really is not. Will you make that commitment, sir? Senator, I share your focus on our employees. I will commit to continuing to discuss with them important quality of life issues with our local craft colleagues. With all due respect, you sound like a politician here, Mr. Shaw. Paid sick days is not a radical concept in the year 2023. 
Shaw also refused to commit to ending the controversial so-called precision scheduled railroading system, which critics say endangers workers and communities. Another congressional action, House Republicans and Democrats joined forces on Wednesday to defeat a resolution aimed at withdrawing all remaining U.S. troops from Syria, where they are illegally occupying the country's oil fields and most fertile farmlands. And another kind of vote was taken by South African lawmakers on March 7th when they agreed to downgrade the country's embassy in Israel in response to Israel's apartheid, illegal occupation, and other crimes against Palestinians. The resolution to downgrade the status of South Africa's embassy just east of Tel Aviv to a liaison office was introduced by the center-left National Freedom Party, which hailed the measure's passage as, quote, a historic moment for our country and a demonstration of our unwavering commitment to justice, human rights, and freedom, end quote. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. Black city with black power. And I'm not making 
bringing this up. Congressmen years back and today have stated a city, a majority black city with black leaders in power cannot lead themselves. That is facts that they have put out there time and time again. So statehood is not just a human rights issue and a voting rights issue. It is a racial justice issue. And let me say, when we talk about crime and incarceration in this city, it is also, and in this country, it is also a racial justice issue. Prisons are a billion-dollar industry in this country. And black and brown bodies make up. That's right. Care, not cages. But they don't have an interest in not mass incarcerating black men and black women and brown and brown and black men and women. They don't have an interest. They want to mass incarcerate us. To work in prisons for free, a billion dollar industry. They know that the same thing, the same actions, we've been here before. The crime bill happened years ago where they said we're going to do a war on crime and it was a war on black people. That is the ultimate goal. If the ultimate goal was safety, I'm talking to Democrats and Republicans here. If the ultimate goal was safety, then we would be investing in education and our children. If the ultimate goal was safety, then we would have a health care system that everybody can access. If the goal was safety, we would have wages, livable wages throughout this country. And let me add that it was this city and this council that has one of the highest minimum wages in this country. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be trying to eradicate our laws. You should be trying to follow our laws. We have taken the lead. We lead by example. And we've led by example on so many things. Not just black leadership and black organizing from climate justice. We have led. And because we have led, and because we have done this, we have Republicans who want to destroy what we have built. And Democrats, let me tell you, no matter what you do, moderate, left, no matter what you do, your talking point is going to be the same. They're going to call you radical either way. They're going to call you woke either way. They're going to call you socialist either way. So stop cowering to these Republicans and stand up for your people. The people of this country are crying out from the East Coast to the Midwest to the South. The president was just in Selma. The minimum wage in Selma is still under $10. It is a place of poverty. We got to be serious. We have to be serious. Stop cowering them. They're going to they're gonna create the commercial no matter what, Mr. President. They're going to say you're soft on crime now no matter what. But 90% of this city voted for you as the President of the United States because 
believed in you and we believed in your promise that you were going to protect local autonomy here in the District of Columbia. Stop cowering to these cowards. We have so many injustices happening in this country. And we need Democrats, because I'm going to talk to the Democrats, we need you all to be with us. We're not doing anything that is radical. We're trying to address the root causes of violence. There are people who are hell-bent on poverty staying the same. Because in a patriarchal, white supremacist, capitalist country, they need to profit off poverty. You have 60% of this country living paycheck to paycheck. They cannot live. They cannot survive. We have to address the poverty in this country. Or we're never going to change the outcomes. And we have to. And we have to, and what about the carjacking? That's right. We have one of the high, this, our statue for carjacking is above most of these Republicans and half of these Democrat states. And if you want to talk about it, we got to ask the question. We do. Why are people committing these crimes? Exactly, and we have to address it. But let's talk about the other crime, because we want to talk about crime. The billion-dollar criminal health care system is a crime. People dying every single day. We want to talk about the billionaires in this city who make more than most of the residents in this, uh, in this country. The top percent of this is watching us as we die from health care issues, as we die in poverty, as mothers and children grow hungry. That's a crime. And where are we going to start addressing those crimes? All the crimes. Because I want to address crime. We all do. This is a council that is committed to addressing the crime and violence in this city. Absolutely. We are fighting. We believe that we want to live in safe places. We want to live in safe communities. Our families live here. Their children live here. Their children go to school here. Their mothers, their fathers. I grew up here. I'm a D.C. native, born and raised without representation in Congress. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to die without it. the narrative. That's what they're doing. The Republican Party is hell-bent on controlling the narrative. Democrats are soft on crime. We're going to have violence in our communities. That's the narrative they want to pull. And if, the, if, if, if Democrats in Congress and the Senate fall for it every time, then the people of this country, we're, we are destined for doom. If our leaders on the Democrat and Republican side don't see that we are starving as a community and we want to be able to live and thrive just like everyone else. Want to talk about crime? We want to talk about environmental justice crime? 
the lead in our water, not only in this city, but in across this country? A crime. We want to talk about the oil going into our water, the air that is being polluted, and everyone knows it's happening, but pretends it's not happening? A crime. We're killing people in our community. So unless we're going to address the housing crisis, we got the rents are rising and the wages haven't even moved, moved an inch. A crime? Let's talk about it. Unless you're going to address the housing injustice in this, in this country, the health care injustice in this country, the environmental justice in this country, the racial injustices in this country, unless you're going to be serious about protecting our children, our women's rights, our trans rights, our LGBTQIA rights, then you're not serious about safety. take your votes today, House representatives who have already cowered to the cowards, know that you are doing a grave injustice in this country to the people of the District of Columbia. You are setting, Mr. President, a terrible precedent for them to wreak havoc on the community that voted for you overwhelmingly, that have supported you throughout, and who have fought for you. It is a grave injustice what is happening to the people of the District of Columbia. This is a democracy. This country was built on a democracy. Checks and balances. And by overturning the will of the voters and their legislative body, you are disrespecting the ideals that this country was built on. Plain and simple. And you don't get to choose when democracy doesn't go your way, to create a super veto power and throw your city under the bus. This fight is a long fight. Reverend Wendy said it earlier, and I'm going to say it again, because the great Frederick Douglass reigning out of the District of Columbia South Side, to be correct, has said it. Power concedes nothing without demand. It never has and it never will. Our hero on the Hill, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, has been fighting for decades, every single day. She deserves to see this city become a state because of the fight that she has put in. So many people have organized. Every single organization here has been on the ground fighting for our statehood. We cannot let infighting in this city in the years of hard work that we have put in. We cannot do that. We need to be united. United as a city, united as Democrats, against the demagogue and the false ideology that is based in racism and white supremacy that seeks to tear us apart, who does not care about what we drink, what we eat, how we survive, how we get health care. But together, we have the ability to make a change and a difference. So I don't need you to wear your heads down. No matter what happens today, the news will say a harking defeat. It is not over. 
We never expected this to not be a fight. But together we stand as the council, as organizations, as a body, as a city, declaring today that we are going to fight for statehood for the people of D.C., that we are going to fight for the democracy that we deserve. We pay our taxes. We fight in your wars. We do everything we are supposed to do as residents and citizens of this country, and we deserve our autonomy, and we deserve our statehood. So when I say hands on, you say DC, hands off, DC. hands off, DC. and when I say 51st, you say state, 51st, state. 51st, state. 51st, state. let's keep fighting, we got this.
This is Lucy Murphy with On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. For Women's History Month, I'm speaking with Congresswoman Loria Raquel Dixon Brodigam. She's a medical nurse from Bilwi, Nicaragua, Northern Caribbean Autonomous Region. She's of African descent and is the first secretary in the Nicaragua National Assembly. Good morning, Congresswoman Dixon. Good morning. You have a special role in the National Assembly. Tell us about your special position. Thank you, Lucy, for inviting me here on the grown media. Thanks to the Almighty God, who allow and guide us. And in honor to our heroes, women and men, and with the permission and guidance of our ancestors, I'm honored to be here in touch with you. My work in the National Assembly is an opportunity to serve my country, to serve our people on the development process of our country. That's the essential and basic part of my work here in the National Assembly. On the day, this day, March 8th, in remembrance of women, historical struggle for equality, greetings, greetings to all the women, all the women around the world. Congresswoman Dixon, I think you are very modest. I remember when I visited uh, Nicaragua for the inauguration of President Daniel Ortega and Vice President Rosario Murillo, you were the person who gave permission for the ceremony to go forth. Yes, that's the way. That's part of the, of the first secretary meeting that we did say, oh, it's the quorum now, so we can start. Tell me about your family, how you grew up, where you went to school before the triumph of the Sandinista Revolution in 1979, and how did you decide to become a nurse? I have always been inspired by my mother, my grandmother. Women who believe firmly in equality. They live under the principles of equality, and we were educated in this manner. I grew up with my siblings, four boys, and I the eldest, also with my parents. My mother, a well-known nurse, who was very, very committed to serve the people. My mother, like my grandmother, in addition to generating income for the home, also dedicated quality time to the family. I grew up surrounded by cousins and friends. Her home was always open to support children of friends and relatives who had to migrate willingly to continue their high school, their secondary studies, and some technical career. It was always a full home. In fact, I should say, her family 
my emigrate, emigrate to Bilwin so that we could continue our studies. Bilwin, those years, was the only place, the only town in the North Caribbean region that had some high school level education. Today, we have major access to education. You can find education in almost, there's high school education in almost all our communities. I studied on the North Caribbean coast and also nursing just like my mother. You are from a linguistically and ethnically diverse area of the country, the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua. Who lives there? What languages do they speak? I understand that you represent one of the two autonomous regions. How does that work? Oh, yes. I had the great opportunity to grow up, be born in a multi-ethnic city environment. On the North Caribbean coast, we have indigenous people such as mosquitoes, mayagnas, sumo, Afro-descendants, Creole, Garifonas, and Mestizo. So the coexistence, the coexistence with us, Mesquito, Mayagna, Sumo, Spanish, Creole, it's just normal. Yes, I represent the autonomous region of the North Caribbean Cool. And therefore, my work is for towards seeing that ethnical diversity, that ethnical diversity of the region based on principles of equality. Our constitution well says that we are a multi-ethnic country. But how does that work being we are diverse? We have this diversity of different ethnical groups and how then that become a great, a great riches towards our country. It's not an, a country that is based only on one ethnical group. On the Caribbean coast, we have then these different ethnical coast, uh, uh, different ethnical groups, and um, that is our diversity, which in that's the great riches of our country, we call it in Nicaragua, there are various indigenous languages, uh, but right now you are speaking English. How did the people in your region come to speak English rather than Spanish? <laughs> no, that is a, another history because when we speak English because, you know, with this whole stuff of colonization and so forth, Oh, the colonizers, uh, the people that really went over there to the uh, Caribbean coast weren't the Spanish then, were the English. That is where we come up with English. And um, basically, the English-speaking people are with the, that are the Afro-descendants that we speak um, more English than any other language. And so um, with the time, we speak other, other languages and Spanish also. Spanish because we have to go to school for learning Spanish. I know one of the um, ethnic groups 
in Nicaragua uh, that we have quite a representation here in the United States of the Garifuna. Do you have uh, uh, Garifuna people in your area? Yes, that's why I said our four descendants, Garifuna and Creole. Yes. We do have uh, the North Caribbean Garifuna. We have um, um, even have um, all elder people in Garifuna that still speak the language of the, of the Garifuna people. Yes. So we have Garifuna. It's few of them that is there on the North Caribbean because they are more basically on the South Caribbean. But we do have Garifuna the Rifonas on the, on the north part of the Caribbean coast. Talking about the history of the United States and Nicaragua, the relationship of the U.S. to Nicaragua is not one of promoting democracy. It's a history of support for a dictatorship and armed opposition to democratic forces. The corruption of the U.S.-backed Somoza regime was revealed to the world by the way it handled the 1972 earthquake. Nicaragua is a land of volcanoes and freshwater lakes. It's subject to earthquakes. Do you remember the that earthquake of 1972? No. At 1972, I didn't have the opportunity to know Managua at that time, you know. Oh. It was just with the what I can remember for those times was just what the news would say about that there was a lot of death and destruction. And yes, the world knew about Somoza mishandling of the tragedy. No, no, we seek to ensure that construction meets safety requirements and permanent, and also we have in the country permanent practices over the whole country towards protecting life. We were living on the North Caribbean coast and with the distance of itself to the roads in terrible conditions, there was just small, small opportunities with people that maybe could come over with coming with an airline trip. So at that time, I knew nothing about them, Manawa itself. I didn't know personally Manawa. Congresswoman Dixon, uh, I visited Bluefields a little to the south of you in Nicaragua in 1984. And remember that there was no road at that time from the capital, Managua, on the Pacific coast to the east side of the country which is where where you're located. I had to go to a small town in the middle of the country by road and then take a boat down a river to get to the East Coast. There were no roads. I hear that that has changed. Yes, it has changed. Indeed, the lack of connectivity in Nicaragua and especially on the Caribbean coast it's something of the past. Because to go to my region, it was difficult, difficult. There were roads and times that the bridges fell down so you couldn't go and then you had no way to reach. Today, we have the best roads, the best roads. It was a dream, a dream and an ancestral demand. And now 
it is an historical achievement. When I got to Bluefields, I also noticed that there was no municipal water supply. Each household collected rainwater in large tanks, which was piped into the house. This worked because it rained every day. It did not rain all day, but it rained every day. Is it still raining every day? Oh, yes, it's still raining. It's still raining. We're a country that is blessed. God loves us and water. Water is blessing for us. We do have a lot of rain, but I can say in 2029, after more than 500 years of history, Bluefield has drinking water system now. This, this have changed. This responds to the process of restoring rights for people on the Caribbean coast. So we do have a water system and we're working towards the water system even on the Northern Caribbean coast. It's something that the country is working towards having water system in the whole, whole country. Congresswoman Dixon, in uh, 1984, the United States was still supporting violent opposition forces, which attacked the new health clinics and other services initiated by the Sandinista National Liberation Front. Do you know people who were killed or maimed by these opposition forces? Yes. Sad, sad history. My respect to the people of the United States. But I must say, the U.S. government preaches peace and democracy, but practice war. Investing millions of dollars to support war. At that time, military bases on the northern part of our country and on the southern part of our country. It was a war of Every day, really, really sad. A war of every day. Lots of death, crime, destruction, and murder. Really sad moment. Really hard moment for us. I personally knew many people who lost their lives, relatives. The history of Nicaragua is a continuous, continuous struggle against the invasion, occupation, and interference by the United States. We can talk about 50,000 deaths in those years and over $17 billion in damages and loss in infrastructure. Without quantifying this physical and psychological damages to the families that were destroyed. As a nurse, I face the pain of our people. As a health worker and a well-recognized Sandinista, I was threatened also many a times. But those times, we call them times, and I hope it will always be the times of the past, 
you are now in a moment of peace, peace, and we struggle for peace, and we fight and defend our peace, peace for our country. No more war. It has are terrible, terrible times, really, really hard times. Congresswoman Dixon, we're going to a short break and we'll be right back. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show, and we are in urgent need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check. All that information is there. But please, please support us. I want to thank our supporters on Patreon so much. And for those who are already supporting, if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up, we need the support. Patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground show.org. Thank you. This is Lucy Murphy with On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital, speaking with Congresswoman Raquel Dixon, the first secretary of the Nicaraguan National Assembly. Congresswoman Dixon, since the return of the Sandinista Party to power in 2007, how has life changed for women and children in Nicaragua? Could you give us an example in terms of your family or your constituents? The difference is very significant. The changes for better began in 1979 with the revolution, disrupted in 1990, and now continue, continue in 2007. 2007, we can say from 2007, years of the Sandinista good government, we're going towards the restitution of all rights. Gender equality is a constitutional precept. It is a constitutional right. And it is also included in all the states policies. So in your official government agencies, the directorship has to be 50% women? That's correct. Right. It's important to share 
that the Sandinista, the plan, the Sandinista in the historical program known as Sandino's Inheritance, the program that includes the dreams and demands of the people, establish among other things the need to recognize and restore women's rights. The historical program of Sandino was published in 1961. Sandino ideas, also the ideas of the heroes, the ideas of our people. So it was a must, a must, an obligation to formalize, recognize women's leading role that contribute because women leading role contribute firmly to the development of their families, of our people, of our country. Today, women have access to more and greater opportunities. Today, we are owners of homes, land, property. We enjoy the possibility of economic independence due to the full restitution of our rights. I can say today we work, we work to develop the country for the good living present and future generations. To women, women in our country, uh, in these years, we are blessed. We are blessed and God really loves us because this is the moment and these are the years for us as women. Congresswoman Dixon, this is a month of celebration, Women's History Month. Uh, what special foods and uh, cultural expressions are taking place in Nicaragua? Well, I should say, on the Caribbean coast, we enjoy cultural diversity. Cultural diversity. And um, we enjoy black, indigenous, Spanish music. The people also compose music, talking about their daily experience or struggling or achievement. Our food, our food in general is a food with strong presence of seafood, coconut ingredients, coconut in everything you cook, herbs for tea, herbs for tea, all different herbs have different meanings. We as well use dessert made out of planting products such as cassava, coconut, and tofu, cocoa. That's basically, but uh, it's not like um, food that are special for the occasion of Women's Month. It's just the food that we from the North Caribbean, from the Caribbean coast, basically, basically use. Congressman Dixon, what legislative measures are you working on now? In the, in the legislative institution, we work in accordance 
in accordance with the political um, constitution. Constitution, we work also with the in accordance of the national plan against poverty for human development with policies towards equality. Those are the basic guidelines that we have and those are the ones that we work forward with. Finally, what message do you have uh, for our listening audience here in Washington, D.C. for uh, Women's History Month? I must say that her struggle is a struggle of her ancestors, and we must continue strengthening share these values with our family. As women, we must continue to be working toward the commitment of peace. Peace. Peace is the path for everyone. In this Women Month, our commitment is with our families, our people, our country, and strongly committed to defend peace. And Lucy, I would like to say from the bottom of my heart, I must say thanks for this opportunity and also extend invitation, invitation to others to visit Nicaragua and, uh, and enjoy this beautiful land of Sandino, of the Rio, of our ancestors. Because I can say here, but it's not the same if you visit our country. Come to Nicaragua. Lucy, you have visited Nicaragua, and you can see that we are people that are advancing, and we're happy people because we're in peace. We have peace. Once we have peace, we can enjoy life. And come and visit and share with us because the only way you can really understand what Nicaragua means and what it means to be a Nicaraguan and what it means to be here is coming here. So I'm glad and I'm happy and I really, really appreciate you inviting me to your program. And this program needs this, this underground media. It makes me feel so identified because that's where we all belong, on the ground. Touching the ground, being in touch with people, being in touch with our community, being in touch with our loved ones, hands to hands, communicating words to words, heart to heart. And that's the way we'll go ahead and develop our country and develop whatever nation would like to. So I would like to say, really invite each and every one that they are the listeners of this program to come along and visit us. Come to Nicaragua. Thank you, Congresswoman Dixon. Uh, we have been speaking with Congresswoman Dixon, the first secretary of the Nicaragua National Assembly. Uh, this is Lucy Murphy. Thank you for listening. 
And that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Ivarum. Our website and our archive for all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Ivarum. And special thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. Music we played this hour included I Don't Want Nobody to Give Me Nothing, Open Up the Door, I'll Get It Myself by James Brown, Tombolo by Kalash, Nicaragua's National Anthem, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.